Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. hear me now? Hear me now? All right. Sorry about that. So we're going to be, let's pray in Father Heaven. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray tonight, as Lord, as we enter into your word. The book of Revelation says there's a blessing when we look into your word. There's a blessing when we hear your words. Lord, I pray that there's a blessing tonight for those that are here tonight as they receive from you, from the manna from heaven, Lord. I'm praying tonight, Lord, as we talk about passion, specifically passion for people, Lord, you'll stir up a passion in our hearts to love people. That was one of the commandments was to to love our neighbor. That means to have passion for them and and to love them. As we look at the life of Paul and Timothy, as Paul is writing to the Philippian church, Lord, in partnership with his protege, Timothy, we pray tonight, Lord, that you begin to speak to us through this book as we begin to rejoice and begin to experience joy as we just begin to learn what that looks like. Lord, speak to us that you stir up our passions today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The first thing I want to talk about here is we'll look at a couple things tonight as we jump into chapter one is this first thing is, first of all, a passion for relationships. You see that in verses one and two. Let me just give you a brief, brief timeline here so you get an understanding of this book. You get an understanding of this epistle, the significance of passions for relationships. This book was written about 60 to 62 AD. Paul the Apostle is the author of this book, and he's writing it from prison. He's writing when he's locked up, and he's talking about joy and talking about passion while he's incarcerated and writing this book for the faith. Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9. We can read that in the book of Acts, and that was about 37 AD. And then from Acts chapter 9 to 13, it was about 12 years. That's about 49 AD. And then from Acts chapter 13 to Acts 16, that's about five years. That's to 54 AD. And then from Acts 16 to 28, that's about eight years it covers. And that brings us to about 62 AD. And in this time, Paul had been building lifelong relationships with people. And one of those relationships was with Timothy, Timothy, his son in the faith. And he is the one mentioned at the very beginning in verses one, him, Paul and Timothy 
our mention says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Statistics say that nine out of 10 teens leave the church after high school. They leave the church after high school. Why? Because many teens have not established relationship with older people. I love this about our church. We're a generational church. You see young and old, and you see that in our family. Why? And I think that's very significant because young and old build relationships with people. And relationships is the key to sustainability in the family and in the community. And when a young kid connect with an older man or a young woman can connect with an older woman, they build relationships and then there's a longing to connect. And so they won't necessarily leave the church because they have relationship with one another. And what you see in this book is you see that Paul and Timothy had a tight relationship. You're going to see this, this, this father and son relationship, even though Paul is not his biological father, they do have this deep, intimate relationships. In fact, you see in the gospel of on the first John written by the apostle John, he says this, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Here it is. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. We see that there are three different seasons in our lives. Children, young adults, and adults. We're all in those different seasons in, in our life. Youth and young and adult and elderly we see here. And so the importance of building relationship is key. Key for our growth. Key to one another. We learned about discipleship this morning and having uh, the, the word to hold us accountable. But another way to hold accountable is our own relationships with one another. Having an older and younger, and sometimes the older and younger may not be in age. Sometimes the older and younger might be an understanding of the word because sometimes somebody who's younger in age might have more understanding of the word than somebody who's older in age. And sometimes the younger can teach the older as it relates to the word of God. But most times it could be the older teaching the younger as a, 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 as a, a parent-child relationship. But those keys are important. He opens up mentioning Paul and Timothy. And you look at Paul this morning, who had an extensive resume. We'll get to chapter 3, verses 46 in a couple of weeks. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But he was the hoo-hoo of the educated and the elite. In fact, Acts chapter 22, 3 says this, I am a Jew. This is Paul sharing his own testimony. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city under Gamaliel, who has thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just and as zealous for God as any other of you are today. He was talking about how he, how man, this, this rabbi taught him and how he, he was invested and he was zealous. He was on fire for the law and how Paul was influenced by another man. Let me tell you something. Regardless if you're in the church or outside of the church, you're being discipled by somebody. You're being trained by something. Whether it's, it's the word of God or whether it's music or, or whether it's whatever we read, we're being trained in thought and theology and ideologies. And we have to be careful what we let in. In our minds and, and in our hearts, this up here is our moral storehouse. It's like a filing cabinet and <clears throat> whatever we put in here, it's stored in there. And if we put things in that are not correct, we're going to spew out things that are not correct. Right? Maybe if we download things in our own memories that are incorrect and then we respond to the incorrect matter, maybe what we have in here is incorrect and maybe we have to download and reload it and reboot it up by God's word to get the right information and to live out the way we need to, to be living out. But we're being trained and discipled by something today. 
May we be trained by his word. May we be trained and equipped by relationships with one another. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I was neither received it from man, nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Paul the apostle came to faith, it was Jesus himself, though Jesus had already ascended and was in the heavenly father. It was him who spoke and began to train him about the law. And I think what had to happen is because he was so zealous for the law, God had to begin to rearrange his thinking about what this grace was. That we're not saved by the law. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved by grace through faith. And I think he had to begin to train Paul on those very things. <clears throat> and because he was trained by Jesus, because the importance of training by others, Paul himself invested in people. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is a list of names of all the people Paul knew that he gave thanks for. Listen, you will not be successful if you think you're going to go it alone. You will not be successful if you think that you're all that in a bag of chips. We need people in our lives to pour into us as much as we need to pour into others. You know, if you're a father today and you have kids, it's very interesting. I have a a, a son and three daughters. It's very interesting seeing when they're little kids, they gravitated to Julie. They hung on to Julie. They were on Julie's leg everywhere she goes. And they were, they were, they were grabbing to her. But when they got about a certain age, about junior high age and about high school age, specifically males, young men, they seem to almost detach from mom. Not that they don't love mom, but they detach, they attach to dad. And they come to dad because there's something about a male relationship that happens that's very key in their development that we get to pour into them. And you deal with the issues of fatherless today. What do you see? Young men who are growing in single homes, but when they start disconnecting from mom, who are they going to connect to when there's no father in the house? They're going to connect to their homies. They're going to connect to people that are probably not the wisest. See, the importance of having leadership today is that even as men in the church, we still have to be committed to take it on some of these young men and women, some of these young ladies to mentor and disciple them in the Lord if their parents or people outside of the Lord are not even present in their lives. And so it's very significant of what we do. Look at what Paul writes in, to the Corinthian church of 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 7. He goes, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I love this because later in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, 1, he was said, I would later state, imitate me as I imitate God. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul took on a special relationship with young Timothy. And he specifically invested and young Timothy, even in this passage, he calls him a son in the Lord, a son in the faith, right? He was his protege. He was his partner. He was his pastor to, to young Timothy. Paul had a passion for this young Timothy. He loved young Timothy. Who is Timothy? Here, Paul had a role. We hear his backgrounds of how he comes to faith, who he was a, 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 a Pharisee, well-educated elite. 
He comes to faith in Acts chapter 9 and God begins to turn his heart around and now he meets this young man, Timothy. His name means honoring God. We know that Timothy, if you look at his background, grew up with his grandmother and his mother. He grew up in a, a single home. His mother was Jewish. His, his father was Greek. It was an interracial relationship, but we don't see any evidence of his father. We don't know if his father left the home. We don't know if his father passed away. We have nearly no history much about his father, but we have a lot of history about his family as it relates to his grandmother and his mother who raised them. Grandmas, you have great influence on your grandkids, especially in the home. And here, both of them, grandmother and mom, had a great influence on young Timothy. They brought him up into things of the faith. But they could only, they only took him so far, then Paul took over. Paul is the one who, who took Timothy on his wig and began to disciple him. We see that in the book of Acts 13 and 14 as he meets them. And Timothy, as a young man, he had weaknesses and he had strengths. In fact, we read of all about this. Timothy was, Paul writes several books to young Timothy because he'll let her become a young pastor in the ministry. We know these as the pastoral epistles. But what are some of the weaknesses of, of Timothy? Young Timothy as a young man, because he had fear and anxiety. That's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He, he battled with anxieties. He, he battled with the stresses of life as a young man. We know that he also battled discouragement. We see that in 2 Timothy 2.3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Maybe he knew, God, this, this work is hard as a pastor. Easily discouraged. We can easily be discouraged as people in the faith. He may even struggled with lust because Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timmy, young Timothy had some battles as a young man. I know there's some young growing up that, you know, we have our own battles and struggles and who do we go? I can only imagine that Paul and Timothy had some discussions about these issues, about discouragement, about struggles with sexuality, about struggles with fear and anxiety, because that's what you do in relationships. If you have close relationships, I understand Paul and Timothy had that relationship, but Timothy had some great strengths too. He had strengths too. He had a passion to evangelize. He had to share. We see that Philippians 2.22, but you know his proving character talking about Timothy, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He partnered with Paul in the ministry. He was an encourager. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 3.2. Timothy, our brother, a minister of God, our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ to establish and encourage you concerning your faith. Paul is putting him on blast for for serving and being an encourager. Let me tell you about young Timothy. Let me tell you about his character. Let me tell you about his strengths. I'm sure he probably, being present with Paul, was an encouragement because remember, Paul's gaffled up and locked up. Some of the greatest way we encourage people is just to be present. Just to be present in the midst of their difficulties. A good friend doesn't even have to have all the answers. He just needs to be present with his friend. You want friends? The Bible says you want friends, be friendly. <laughs> it's really simple. But the reality of all this, what do you see here? Paul had a companion with young Timothy. He, he even had the responsibility probably to deliver this message, this letter to the church of Philippi, that Paul entrusted young Timothy to be one. 
Why do we invest in relationships in a church? Why is that so important? Because Matthew 28 commands us to do that, to go make disciples of all nations, right? To train them, to equip them, to teach them all that I command you. And you said, the Lord said, I'll be with you until the end of the age, right? Paul was pouring into young Timothy to teach him what it means to follow Jesus, right? But as Paul poured into Timothy, Timothy poured into others. He, didn't just, he just wasn't one who received, but he also gave out. That's what you often see when you study the landscape of the Holy Land, you, of Israel, right? You had the Sea of Galilee and you had the Dead Sea. You had the Sea of Galilee up here and you had the Dead Sea. And you had from the Sea of Galilee, there was the Jordan River that went out to the Dead Sea. The reason the Sea of Galilee was so full of life because it's, it had a, a way of water to go down to the Dead Sea. It had an outlet, but the Dead Sea didn't have an outlet. It was dead. Guys, when we don't have an outlet, we die. If we don't give ourselves away, we die. If we don't pour into others, we die. The problem with this isolation is a lot of us have, have people have struggled with the anxiety and fear and, and really have died because there have been no touch and no relationships with people. But there was a command that Paul would eventually pour into young Timothy to remind him, listen, Timothy, I poured in you, but you need to pour into other faithful men because I poured into you. Second Timothy 2, 2, that the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The Lord poured into Paul, Paul poured into Timothy, and Timothy poured into others that may pour into others. Guys, that's discipleship. Discipleship is multiplication. That's just not, doesn't, we are the Sea of Galilee that comes in to go out. But if we don't get out, we die. We're like the Dead Sea. We have a passion. We need to have a passion to love one another. But guess what? In this passion, they had this relationship. They had this servant relationship. It says here, Paul and Timothy, what? A bondservant or a slave of Jesus. Bondservant of Jesus Christ. The word there, bond slave, is the word doulos, denoting a dependency, a tendency on God. God is our master and we are his servants. We're here to, to show hospitality. We're here to, to give of ourselves, right? We submit ourselves voluntarily. You know, when we come to faith in Christ, we become his servants. We submit ourselves unto the Lord. Why? Because we're passionate about God and we want to be passionate about people, right? Romans 6.18 says this, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, right? Bond servants of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you were presenting your bodies of members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawless leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Man, before we knew God, we just did our own mess. We just served our own self. We just did what was right in our own eyes. We just filled our own desires and our own flesh. But now that we come under the servanthood of Christ, now it's not about us. Now it's about others and having passions to serve others and having the mind of Christ to put others first. And now that's holiness. That's righteousness. That's purity. And God honors that, that life. That's why he says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ. 
Christ the master. They're their service and they're on a mission and they're doing it in partnership together. And as they're writing, they have a relationship with the church. There's a church relationship. There's a connection to the body. It says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're writing to this church in Philippi, to the saints, to the sanctified. The saints mean sanctified or set apart ones. Guys, you know, we often think of saints as statues or think you are the saints. You are the church. You are the set apart ones that God has purchased and bought. And he's writing to the believers in this area called Philippi. He's writing to, as he's writing, he's thinking of Lydia and he's thinking of the demon-possessed woman and he's thinking of the Philippian jailer. Remember, I told you stories last week of each of those that Paul had an encounter with through the book of Acts. They are the saints. And I imagine there are other saints that they haven't mentioned here. Like you are the saints here tonight. He's writing to you of a letter written over 2,000 years ago that still apply to us today. He mentions other saints in this book. Epaphroditus and Eudia and Sedictiki. These are all saints. He's writing to the overseers, the bishops, the deacons, right? The overseer or the elders. Might be different translations in your Bible. Talk about the leaders of the church, the pastors there. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor of the church here. I'm an overseer of the church. But then he also mentions the deacons, which are the servants that are the ones who do a lot of the hospitality. He's writing to each of those in, in the, the area, Philippi, the diakonos, the ones who wait on tables, the servants. There are a lot of faithful servants here at New Vision. Some of you don't even know their names, but they faithfully serve behind the scenes, blessing you by their service. People come in and they clean the yard out here during the week. You don't know their names. They, they take care of the buildings. They pick up. They come in. They set things and they break down. Servants of the church. So that you can be here. So you can be blessed by the ministry here. They're the deacons of the church. And he begins to give a blessing in his introduction in verse 1. Blessings, right? Grace and peace. Always grace and peace with Paul, right? Grace. Favor upon you. I'm praying favor upon you. I'm speaking blessings to you. Sweetness and charm and gladness and joy. Not only that, may you know God's peace is shalom. The peace. He's, he's, he's saying, I'm writing to you because I'm passionate about you. Timothy and I are excited about you. And we're writing this later to speak that God will bless you with his favor and his peace his unmerited favor. That's a man that's passionate about who he's writing to, right? In, in, our, in, our, in our letters, when we write in our modern day culture, we always put dear to the people and then we sign it at the end, right? Thank you or blessings and I put my name on. In their culture, they opened up with their names and then, then they would write to who they're writing to. That's just how they wrote their letters in this culture. This is a letter. We get a sneak preview into the letter that Paul wrote, a personal letter that Paul is writing to this church. That's meant for all of us. So you're kind of, I wouldn't say in some ways eardropping, but reading the very words of the Apostle Paul. But when we get into the second thing here, you, you talk about that is this, Paul was pass, passionately optimistic. I love that. 
You never saw the glass half full. I mean, half empty. You always saw it half full. And he had a, he had a perspective about it. Look at verses three to six. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel for the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul had an optimistic attitude, always looking at the bright side of things. There's a story of a young schoolboy who brought, home, brought his report card home and it was heavy with poor grades. And, and, and his parents asked, what have, you, what, have to, what have you to say about this? The father asked. And the son responded, one thing's for sure. The boy replied, dad, you can be proud of me. You know that I haven't cheated. <laughs> Listen. With Christ in us, and we have this enthusiastic passion, let's keep an optimistic perspective on life, right? God's doing the work. He's doing something, right? And the first thing he does is he says, man, I, I just pray for you, right? And he, he mentions that he prayed for them in verses three and four. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, Right? I love this. Paul always had the Philippian church on his mind, right? I thank my God of every remembrance of you. I haven't forgotten you. I, I, I have all the stories. I played all the stories back. I remember staying up late at night and talking with the brothers and sisters. I remember hanging out with you. Isn't there people that you love and just hanging out with and being with and the brothers and sisters in the Lord? Oh man, we got to do the work. You know, when you hang out with people, see, time seems to fly, right? When you're having a good time. I'd imagine Paul knew these people and they were just hanging out. He goes, man, I, I just played back in my mind all the good times we had. All the things we did for the Lord, how we served together and how we ate together and how we just hung out together at the church or wherever we were going. He always had them on their lips, right? Part of Paul's prayer is life. I just have you on my lips. Always, every prayer is my request for your joy. Hmm. This church was a joyful experience for Paul, and he would pray for that. He found great joy in being with the people here. Always in every prayer, always on my lips. You're always on my mind. I could imagine he's praying for them, but he's also speaking positive things about them. Man, you, you got to know this church. I imagine when he traveled, he spoke about them. Man, when I was in Philippi, it went down. This is what happened, man. We are, I was in prison, and the ground shook, and Bam, the gates opened up and the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. And I just thought about Jesus. I wasn't running off. And that night, he got saved. Not only is me, him, but his whole family. And not his whole family. I don't know what happened, but we ended up going to a baptismal service and we baptized them. And then I just came back to jail. That's what happened. You know why? Because if Paul would have left that night, that jailer would have been executed the next day. So Paul went back to the jailhouse and said, I'm here because God is good. Listen, when you love somebody, you just go the distance with them, amen? When you're passionate about people, you just go the distance with them. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. And it was a great joyful experience for Paul, not only in being with them, but praying for them. But he also partnered in the gospel. You see that in verse five. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen, we're on the same team. Paul's saying, your church, we're on the same team. 
right? We have multiple churches in San Diego. We are all on the same team, right? We're one family. We're one body. We're unified under the cross. We're one team, right? He, he's saying here, because of your partnership, talking to the Philippian church, talking to the, all the believers there, we're together in the gospel, bringing the message of the gospel, bringing the good news. They had spiritual communion with one another and serving one another. Guys, we're in partnership together in the gospel as a church. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Letting other people know about God's love, about his goodness, God his mercy and his grace. And giving warning to the, the consequences of rejecting God. There's a, there's a, you have to hear the bad news before you hear the good news, right? There's bad news to the gospel too in the sense of there's eternal separation from God. We call that hell. But God says, let me give you another door. Jesus is the door. Let me give you another way where you can spare the goodness of God and the love of God. But they also were part of God's work. Look at verse six. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. I love this. Being confident of this. Not confident in themselves, but confident in God. I want you tonight to be confident of this, that God's working in you. He's working in you. You may not even see it. Pastor Peter, I don't know how he's working. He's working. Because there's something renewing here. You wouldn't be here if he wasn't working. Listen, listen, listen. You may not even see it. You may not even see it. But God is working. I was, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. I keep it on the down low. I've been going over to uh, Hope House over here. We have a young man there. And he, he really is struggling with the Lord. And I'd go, I'd go every Thursday, have dinner with the kids and do a Bible study with them. And he wants nothing to do with God. And I remember going in there and at the Bible study, he puts his head down the table. Doesn't want to even look at me. Don't want to be there. And so I'm teaching the word. And some of the workers, some of the saints over there serve the whole house like, oh man, that's disrespectful. We got to deal with that. I said, no, 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 no. Let him be. Let him be. He's still hearing the word. The word's dropping in his ear. He may not look at me, but the word's still going in because it's, it's going to fall somewhere. It's going to go somewhere, right? Just let him be. He's still here. Let him be. How many of you were stubborn before the Lord when he was dropping words on you, right? How many of you didn't want to hear when he was speaking? How many of you fought him and threw up your rolling eyes at church and, oh, come on. Come on now. I was the same way, right? Just let him be. So be coming faithfully. So let's last... Uh, Thursday I was there and teaching out of the scriptures of man who was on the pallet, right? Speaking about, you know, here's man was laid out for 38 years. He had some bad times. He, he was trying to get in the pool of Bethesda, but nobody was there to put him in. He was hurting for 38 years. Some of you kids feel like you've been hurting for a long time, right? And we have a lot of excuses why we're hurting. But let me tell you something. God had an eye on that man for 38 years and he hasn't forgotten. just like he hasn't forgotten you. And he's still here. He's still present because he's speaking to you right now. And I'm sharing this whole story. And he said, arise and walk, take up your felt, come follow me. I tell the whole story. Boom. And he's watching me, listening. His head isn't down no more. He was listening, right? So we get done with the study. 
And he comes up and he goes, Pastor P, I got to talk to you. I said, what? He goes, I got a question for you. I said, yeah. Uh, kids don't ask this type of question, but he must have been listening here. He goes, why did Jesus have to be baptized? That's a theological question. Most high school kids don't ask that type of question. So something's stirring up in his head. And so I break it down to him. And he set an example of being obedient to the Father. Boom, boom. Just a few weeks ago, he wanted nothing to do with God. Now, I don't know if he's made that commitment yet, but let me tell you what the word does, that God's doing a work in you. You might be here this morning. Some of you might, I know people come here, they sit in the back and, and Frank is leading music and they're like, <laughs> right? Some kids are like, I don't know if I'll be here. But you keep them coming a long time. You keep them coming to church. Next week, they're tapping their toes. Maybe the third week, they're standing up. They look like their arms crossed. I've seen this happen, man. God's doing a work in them. God's doing a work. He's stirring up the stuff in you. He's working you. And you're confident. We have to be confident that God's doing it. You may think it's just a little bit, but he's doing a work. He's stirring some stuff in you, right? He says, being confident of this, that he who Jesus, God, who began a good work, a good work in you, you were saved, what? For a good work. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You were his poema. You were his creation. He had created you for, for good works. And he will carry it to completion. God is not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to start the building and say, I'm tapping out. I'm done. It's your, you're half done. It's on your own. Right? He's not going to start a great work in you and not finish what he's done. Now, we know that the completion is when we're with him in heaven. Because he says this way, the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day means when we're with him. So this journey is a long journey. However the long it is, God's still doing the work with you. Guys, rejoice in the fact that God's doing something in you. We can dwell on the negative instead of the positive. But God hasn't left you hanging here. He's not, God is not short of his resources to take care of the things he needs to do in your life. But God does have a timeline of completion when we're with him. He has a finish line, right? He has, a, he has that going on tonight. Be careful we don't put our timeline on his work. Okay, be careful of that. I just want to encourage you with that because sometimes in the church, they call it this gospel renewal. Things go, God's doing stuff in our heart. Man, rejoice in it. Maybe you get up and you read more scriptures today than you did the next day, than the day before. Maybe you prayed longer today than you did yesterday, right? Maybe yesterday you prayed for three minutes and today you prayed for five minutes. Rejoice. <laughs> God's doing the work, right? Maybe tomorrow will be seven minutes. And maybe by the end of the week it'll be 10 minutes. But you're praying longer than you did before. Maybe it's little steps like that. Whatever it is, God's doing a good work in you. And be faithful to complete it. <coughs> But the third thing here is you talk about passion. He was passionately affect, uh, affectionate. You see that in 7 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. So to have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending the confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In verse 7, we see this heartfelt passion. It's right for me to feel this way about you. It's a good thing to feel this way about you. I have you in my heart. You, guess what? Head on his heart. 
there was a, a gut-wrenching love for these people, right? These, these people weren't not on his nerves. They were on his hearts. You know those people that get on your nerves sometimes? Yeah, already, Lord. <laughs> Paul didn't see it that way. So I have them on my heart. It's right for me to feel this way all about you. It's a good thing. It's, it's, this is, this is bus, bus. when the spirit works, this is how I'm supposed to feel. For whether I am in chains, talk about his prison situation, his condition. Remember, he's in jail. Whether I'm in chains, it doesn't, my circumstances does not change how I see things. I'm locked up. Paul's saying, I'm locked up. I'm in chains for the gospel. I'm in a cold dungeon, a dark, cold dungeon. But my heart hasn't changed for you. You know what he's saying? I'm not being embittered by my circumstances. You still bring me great joy. What, what things you feel like you're changed that it's affecting your attitude? Your circumstances, your situation, your relationships, whatever it is. Is there something just that you're getting embittered instead of saying, God, I know this is hard, but you're still working it out? He says, for whether I'm in change or defending or confirming the gospel. Defending means I'm standing firm in the gospel or standing up for the gospel. Laboring to defend the faith. There's times that we need to speak out about the faith. There's times that we need to let people know what we believe. There's times that we need to speak the truth. We talked about that this morning. That we speak it in love, not in arrogance. Not in self-righteousness. Not like we have it all together. But we have the answer here. We need to defend the truth. Confirming the gospel, that the gospel is truth. There is good news in this. We're defending the good news. We're confirming this. Like we're, we're in this. I have you because in my, either my chains or defending or whatever, all of you share in God's grace with me. As much as God shared his favor, unbearded favor on me, he shared it with you. As much as he saved me by grace, he's also saved, shared you, saved you by grace. Grace is something we get that we haven't earned. Right? That's grace. That unmerited favor, that blessing that comes from above. God can, God can testify how long, how I long for you with all affection in Christ Jesus. Testifying of love, his love here tonight. Paul is giving a testimony of the love for the people, of his passion for these people, of the friends he has. And I hope, I hope if when you came to New Vision, I hope that you felt like people loved on you here. I'm praying that you were, somebody met you and said hello and invited you somewhere, did something on your first time. Because I'd rather be marked by love than be a cold church. I'd rather be marked by hospitality. That you, I would be hurt and saddened in the fact that you would step into this building and nobody would even recognize you. Guys, that's the, that's the challenge for the church for us here at New Vision is that when people come in, have we, have we got to know them? That when people leave here, they'll say, man, if anything, New Vision is marked by love. <laughs> marked by love. That's what we need to be marked by. They'll know you, my followers, if you love one another. They didn't say, they'll know my followers if you love them, if they do this. <laughs> they just said, if you love them. Paul is saying, he's, he's marking this whole relationship by love. God can testify how long 
for all of you with the affection. God is testifying. I hope we get a good testimony before the Lord. When we stand before the Lord as a body, I hope he's saying, man, you haven't lost your first love. Uh, the new vision is known for their love. I'm hoping that could be a testimony. I hope that's the word on the street here, City Heights and in Canto and Lemon Grove. I hope that's the testimony. That's my heart and desire for our church here. The testimony of love. Can God testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection, with godly love that comes from God because he's the author of love. That's what it means to be passionate about people. Paul was passionate about this young Timothy. He was passionate about this church and he expressed that passion through love because love is what conquers all things. Love is what covers a multitude of sin. Love is unending for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish have it ever life. That's God's love for us. And as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate God, he's saying, I'm passionate about people. Church, we're to be the same. Passionate, loving to one another. So here's my challenge tonight as we close. My challenge to you, first of all, just to establish the right relationship with God. Establishing just the right relationship with God. Like, become a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Understand that Jesus is our master. God is our master. We're saved. We're just servants. That's all. That's the right framework. That's the right framing of our walk with God. Second, establish a Paul and Timothy relationship. Men with women and women with women. Build these relationships that you can pour into others. Who are the people that are pouring into your life? And how are you pouring into other people's lives? Be the Sea of Galilee, not the Dead Sea. <laughs> Here's the third thing. Your attitude about things can affect your joy. Look for the best in people. Look for the best in people. It's so easy to be negative. Look for the best of people. Affirm what they've done. Bless them. Look over them. Man, that will go a long way in your relationships. You know, we're so easy to disrespect people and, and put them down. That's easy for us, right? That's, that's an easy thing. But to affirm and to bless and say kind things. God the Father said to your son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We didn't even knew God the Father had to speak to God the Son and affirm him. The words of affirmation. How more important is that for us to do that with others? And lastly, that you're not alone in this walk that we're partners in grace. We're partners in grace tonight. Amen? Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. and We thank you for your love and blessings, Lord, as we're journeying through the book of Philippians, Lord. I pray tonight that you would pour your spirit upon people, that they would be passionate for people, Lord. And that passion will, will bleed out in everything we do, Lord, that we'd have this joyful spirit, Lord, Father, we wouldn't see things in the negative, but we'd turn around and say, God, you're doing this great work. No matter what it looks like, you're still working. And we're confident in your work. We're not confident in our work because our work will fall short, but we're confident in your work because we know there's a completion day on that work, but you're still working it out for the good. And so I pray for your people tonight. I pray for your saints tonight. I pray for your beloved ones tonight, Lord. Father, let them experience your joy through the passion of serving other people and loving other people and even receiving tonight that you're doing a great work in them and let them be marked by love. Let them be marked by the affection toward the saints, Lord. May that be a mark that you put on us, Lord. 
So I thank you and I praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.